Let's pray. Father, today we just are grateful, so very grateful, just for the experience of worship. It's a beautiful thing when God's children come together and dwell in unity. For the very purpose of coming today is to worship you in praise, in prayer, in giving. Ah, but we want to hear what you got to say today. I want you to speak to us. We've been learning, God, that to leave here and only say we had a good time is not sufficient worship. We want to be transformed. We want to hear what the Lord has to say. Now, God, I confess today that I am not at all able to do what's necessary to help people to get closer to Jesus. So we realize skill is not enough. Eloquence can simply stir the emotion. But the spirit of God can change the heart. So I'm asking you to help me to do that today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. As we get ready to turn to the word, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. We want to remember Maria Wilson in our prayer. She's been taken to the hospital. She's one of our new members. I was just baptized. And uh, we're asking that God would be with her. And as we are here in worship, our prayers will be with her as she's at UH Hospital. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Amen. Anxious to get in the word of God today. I believe that the Lord has given me something to say and we're going to do the best we can to say it. Amen. Uh, Our marriage ministry, couples ministry will begin today at five o'clock. We're excited about what God is doing in that ministry and we want to encourage you. I was there last week and it was awesome. It was awesome. I've been to a ton of marriage conferences and done a ton of them. And I tell you right now that what's being offered downstairs at five o'clock is top notch stuff. I'm sorry. Oh, is it next week? All right, it's next week at five, and so we look forward to what God is going to do. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask if Julius and Jennifer Harden will start doing it every week so that the pastor would not sound incorrect when he says it. It was that good, though. It should be today. Come on, say amen. Somebody needs some help in their marriage. Amen. And it's not just for married folk. It's also for folk who are thinking about getting married or marriage material. And so we praise God that Pastor Coxon will be there as well. And thank the Lord for that. Amen. Maybe. I'll just <laughs> Amen. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, it's the New International Verse, it says large crowds, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Stay there. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. They were doing what with Jesus, everybody? They were traveling with Jesus. In other versions, it says large crowds followed Jesus. Followed. Keep, that, keep, it, keep your mind on that. They followed Jesus. And the Bible says, and turning to them, he said, verse 26, if anyone comes to me. Now buckle your seatbelts. The title of the message today is hate your mama and your kids. <laughs> if anyone comes to me and does not hate. Now I've looked at this in every version possible. I looked at this in the Greek and brothers and sisters, the word means hate. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife, 
and children. Brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Way to go, Jesus. <laughs> you got a lot of folk following you. you. got large crowds following you. Way to keep the crowd coming now. <laughs> Bible goes on to say, and whoever, whoever does not carry their cross. Man, you're making it really difficult now, Jesus. Uh, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And the Bible says, for if you lay the foundation are not, and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Stay with me. The Bible says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider <laughs> whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Won't he? If he is not able, he will send a delegation, a diplomacy group with the other uh, is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Bible says in the last verse, it says in the same way, somebody say in the same way. Somebody say in the same way. That just gave you, to the, gave you the answer to what hate he's talking about. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, Lord have mercy. Those of you who do not give up everything. You thought believing the Sabbath was difficult. Try hating your mama. The Bible says in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, hating your kids, you cannot be, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot be my, if you don't hate your boyfriend, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. Let the people of God say <laughs> to the word of God. My first encounter with uh, Shanae Arthurs at that time uh, was in chemistry class. How fitting. How fitting. Chemistry class. How fitting. A brother by the name of Doc Rock, Rothaker Smith, was our professor. And I, I, I noticed over time that there was this sister who was a red bone. That's my weakness. Come on, say amen, somebody. Sitting in the back of the class. Of course, I was sitting in the front, amen. And, and uh, she was sitting in the back of class and I uh, tried everything I could to stay focused on the classwork. Uh, but that Cleveland girl sitting in the back, uh, I'd, I'd seen the other girls on Pine Forge's campus and was, was mesmerized, but there was something about Shanae Arthurs. <laughs> and you know, at that time, uh, it was cool for fellas to wait on a woman to come and try to holler at you. By the way, let me just throw this out here real quick. Uh, sisters, never holler at a guy. Just throwing that out there. Real quick, this is just for free. Y'all not going to learn this in the couples class, so I'm going to tell you now. 
You never, you never make the first move on a brother. If you want the wrong guy, do that. Do that. And so I was under the idea that, 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 uh, that, the, 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 the sisters should holler at me. I was so full of myself. Young boy from D.C. Had the D.C. look and way and jargon. And I thought I was the man on campus, but there was something about Sinead. And so, and so I, 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 I thought it would be cute if I would come out of my comfort zone and, and try an old school move. On her. Now, this is not a mature move for, I'm not suggesting this as game for anybody, but this is what I did. I took out my pencil and I took out some lined paper and I put on that piece of paper, Shanae. This is a true story. Do you like me? I'm not done. Circle. Yes. No. Now, now. Or maybe. Can I get a witness in here? Have I got anybody out there that was afraid of rejection like the preacher? I mean, you, you just throw that in there hoping that if it's really no. And I want to tell you right now, if they circle maybe, it's no. And bless your heart, Sister Edmonds, uh, at that time, Sister Arthur, circled maybe. Amen. Amen. And, and I realized something spiritual from that is that when we ask somebody for a commitment, even in that situation, we're so afraid of rejection that we will put a clause of conditionality upon it so that nobody lets us down. But when it comes to following Jesus Christ, Jesus is not that sensitive. He doesn't, he doesn't say, will you follow me? Yes, no, or maybe. Jesus is not afraid of rejection. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far to say, he, he does not want rejection. Follow me now. But he is not afraid of rejection. He knows what price he's paid. He knows what investment he's made. He knows what he has put into the relationship and he feels very secure in himself. He is not worried about getting let down. He's not going to have some hissy fit that, that somebody said no to him. But understand, brothers and sisters, there is no maybe with following Jesus. He is not asking, hoping that maybe we might follow him. And anything that would suggest either no, other than no or yes, he will not accept. He will accept no more than he'll accept maybe. God can't work with maybe. God works with yes or no. And last Sabbath, we, we talked about how Christianity has become more like a fan spectator sport. Many of us are fans and not followers. We know about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. We know facts about the Bible, but we don't know the God of the Bible. And God is calling us, help me Holy Ghost today, God is calling us to a deeper following relationship with him. I want to run down a few things real quick. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians 
but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Fans often confuse their admiration for devotion. They mistake their knowledge of Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. Fans assume their good intentions make up for their apathetic faith. Fans are happy to follow Jesus as long as that doesn't require anything significant or any changes or have any negative implications. There is no way, somebody say no way. Come on, pray for me today. There is no way to follow, there is no way to follow Jesus without him interfering with your life. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and says he wants to interfere with your life. He wants to interfere. When we decide, somebody say decide. When we decide to believe in Jesus, help me Lord. When we decide to believe in Jesus without Making a commitment to follow him, we have become nothing more than fans rather than followers. We've become nothing more than members rather than ministers. It is not enough, and you're going to hear Edmund say this until you're blue in the face and I'm blue in the face. It is not enough to be a member of the church. Notice, the word of God says that Jesus says, follow me. Way more than he says, believe in me. If I asked everybody right now, raise your hands if you believe in God, the hands would fly in the air. And if I asked you the same question and said, if, if, does everybody, are you a follower of Jesus? Many of us would raise our hands. But do you understand that in order to follow Jesus, he has to interfere with your life to the extent that you're going to hate your mama. Hate your father. <laughs> Hate your children, the word of God says. Hate your sisters and your brothers. And then to capsize it, he says, and to hate even your own life. And then he says, you cannot be my disciple if you are not willing to go that far with Jesus. The Pharisees, however, had turned, and I think we have done the same thing. They turned church into a how much you know contest. Now, I have to illustrate it this way. Can you imagine? And understand now, these guys knew the word of God. By the time they were 12 years old, they could quote the entire first four books. Listen to me. Listen to me, especially Seventh-day Adventists. By the time they were 12, they could quote the first four books. You see how these gentlemen stood up here and quoted all that stuff? They would make these young boys look like they have never learned a thing in their life. At 12, they were quoting the first four books of the Bible by memory. And they could correct themselves when they messed up. Because they were taught that knowing Jesus is the equivalent of knowing information. And that the more information you had and the more information you knew, that equaled relationship with God. But how many know that the smartest guys were the ones that killed Jesus? Can you imagine if we got to judgment day? And this is basically what we're saying. We're saying if you know a lot of information, that's going to make you give God give you a hookup at the judgment day. So let's picture we're standing at the judgment. All right. And we're standing before God. And instead of God saying, do I know you? God says, all right, we're about to have a quiz. 
tell me the 2300 day prophecy and give me all the dates and names. Well, I, I mean, I believe it, 457, uh, you're gone. Go, go to hell right now. Next person. Tell me the name of the third judge in the book of Judges and what he accomplished. Well, I believe it was, I'm sorry, you didn't make it. You believe, you're not sure. You go to hell too. All right, where have you? Okay, come here. Yeah. Tell me all the unclean foods that are listed in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. And I want you to tell me how that applies to us right now. Explain that right now. Well, I, I believe, I'm sorry, you can't make it either. Come here, my brother. Yeah, you, you're next. Which day is the Sabbath? The seventh day. Okay, you can get in. Oh, you're next to? Who's your family? Oh, I, I, my family is the soul, the Edmonds. Oh, you're part of the Edmonds family? Oh, come on in. Come on. You can be saved. Anybody else? Oh, okay. Okay, what do you have to offer? Oh, you've been a member for 40 years? That's what I died for. Come on in. Oh, my goodness. You look really healthy. Come on, stand here. Now, what have you been doing to take care of your life? I've been vegan all my life. Is that right? Now, you know that's why I bled and died. You know you're going to be saved. <laughs> you next. Tell me the seven trumpets of Revelation. Oh, I'm impressed. You know all seven of the trumpets. Well, could you add the seven churches as well? You know that too? Outstanding. Now, I want you to break down for me redaction theory and the sanctuary theory and how it applies to type and anti-type according to theology and its implications for the prophetic movement according to the remnant in this day and age. And I want you to start at 1844. Would you do that for me? Whoa! Very good. Come on in. Doesn't that sound dumb? But that's how most of us view spirituality. We think it's a contest to see how much we know, how much we've done, who we're connected to, what our last name is, how many times we've been coming to church. But understand this, brothers and sisters, God don't care nothing about your denomination. He don't care nothing about what you know. He don't care nothing how much you know. He don't care who your family members are. The standard for following Jesus is this. How much have you left? How much have you given up? How much have you walked away from? Because unless you hate your mother, <laughs> your father, your children, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. One of the first things I realized about that text is this. The first thing I realized is that when Christ starts looking at followers... He distinguishes followers from travelers. Look there at the text. The Bible says in Luke chapter 14, very quickly, I won't be here long today. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, the Bible says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, I'm going to be honest. If I were Jesus, I would be so cool with the idea, Pastor Coatsum, that large crowds were following me. And I would assume that if I had people following me, uh, and that is, a road, I'm talking about road dogs. I got road buddies. 
Everywhere I do a miracle, they're there. And the crowds keep getting larger and larger. I'm raising people from the dead and people are enjoying my preaching. I sound better than the Pharisees. I would get real puffed up about myself and say, this is what God wants. He wants a packed church. He wants people coming to hear the word of God. And God says, notice this now. He says, there is a difference between traveling and following. Why would you, Jesus, mess up? The good thing you got going on. If anything, you should be like, uh, tonight we're going to have a food giveaway. Oh, I'm going to pass out some, some loaves and some fishes later on. Keep them coming, God. They're coming. Well, don't mess that up. But Jesus does not want people simply on the journey for the ride. His heart is not touched by people who simply want God when they need God. God says, I will not be a sugar daddy. Watch all the prosperity preaching you want, but don't think for a minute that I'm in this thing, that I bled and died in this thing, that I sent my only son in this thing so that you simply could be blessed. He says, what I want you to do, the demonstration that you know me, is when you get to a point that you hate your mama. The other thing I notice about this text is, Jesus places a very low estimation on how much we know. Notice now, he says, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your mother, unless you hate your father or your kids. Now, let me ask you this. The opposite of that is that if you do hate them, you can be my follower. Notice he does not say if you know this, if you know that. And notice now we're not disparaging knowing the word of God. There are enough texts of scripture that encourage us that we should be deep in the word. The Bible says study to show yourself approved unto God. But get this, brothers and sisters. I have seen in my own life and in the church how an information based Christian does not necessarily mean that they are converted. can you look down on somebody else because they don't believe in the Sabbath? That's not even the standard for being saved. He says, unless you hate your mama and hate your father and hate your kids, Lord have mercy, you cannot be my disciple. Can I get a witness in here? There are two words that are used in this text for follow. The first word follow is travel. It simply means go for a ride. <laughs> Anybody ever remember when you got your first car? <laughs> I remember when I got my first little Honda Civic, 1988, sky blue, had rims on it, stick shift. Got it from Sinead's uncle, 164,000 miles on it, but I was happy. Come on, say amen. You remember your first car, don't you? Oh, yes. And when you first got that car, I mean, in those days, man, nobody cared whether, you, whether what, what name brand of car it was. You had a car, and everybody wanted to go for a ride. <laughs> huh? People that were your enemies. Well, oh, you got a car now. What's up, my man? <laughs> Girls that wouldn't give you the time of day. Yes. They want to go for a ride in the car now. You got a car. And this is what was happening in the ministry of Christ. 
He was noticing that people essentially just wanted to be with him because of what he could do. Do you know how that feels to a person? Have you ever been around people who simply started being interested in you because they saw that you had a gift or they saw that you could do something for them or they saw that you had connections? People were using you and God says, I'm not going to be used. You are not going to simply just cry out to me when you fall down and get in trouble. I'm not going to let you beg and show up to prayer meeting now that you need a miracle from me. I am not going to, as a matter of fact, since you turn to family and since you turn to friends and since you turn to your children when you needed help, when you really need help, I'm going to leave them to you so that you can go to them for what you need. Watch this. I want you to see something here. This seems like a contradiction to everything we've ever heard. We all believe in family. Come on, say amen, somebody. Sometimes family get on your nerves. I've had my harshest fights with family folk. Come on, say amen. That's one of the reasons why church folk can't get along because we're family. And that families fight. Amen, somebody? It just happens. Sometimes you, sometimes family say stuff to each other. Amen? And uh, sometimes family members hurt one another. But at the end of the day, we're family, right? I remember when I first got here, one of the members reminded us the other day, one of the first things I said when I got up here is, I said, man, y'all can talk about me like a dog, but if you mess with my family, you know what I'm saying, there's going to be problems. You know, we do that kind of thing to set up boundaries and protections for a family. And it seems like a contradiction when Christ would say, you must hate. Now, come on now, does this not sound strange? And most of you right now are waiting for me to really explain what it means. Because you're saying to yourself, there's no way God is calling me to hate my mother and my father and my kids. You're saying I got to hate folk in order to be saved? I thought you taught love. Here are a few texts of scripture that seem to contradict. First of all, Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives. Isn't that what the word of God says? Just as Christ gave himself up for it and so forth. First Timothy 5, 4 and 8 says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren. Now listen to this, y'all. These should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repairing their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The word of God tells us we should take care of family. Then the Bible says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'm going to take this moment right now as the spirit of God leads me. There, there are men in this place right now who have children. And there are people who are standing in your way to be with your children and you've made all kinds of other excuses you have not paid child support and you're mad about that brothers and sisters the word of God is against you in this the Bible says you are worse than an infidel so the word of God speaks about the importance of family amen and so how can God say out of the same breath that he said husbands love your wives and a man that doesn't take care of his home is worse than an infidel. How can he out of the same mouth say that if you're going to be a follower of me, you've got to hate the very people I told you to love. I want my wife to come here for a second. Please, baby, come over here. I need to illustrate what he's talking about. What does Jesus mean? All right. Come here, Sinead. And come here, Monica. Come here, Monica. Come here. Monica. What does Jesus mean? Somebody say hate. Is that what the Bible says? By the way, I looked this up in the Greek. And you know what it means? Hate. (laughs) So even I was getting a little nervous. (laughs) I was like, hold on for a minute. Monica, come stand right here. 
Let me illustrate to you what God is talking about. This is my wife. For those of you who don't know, Shanae. All right? This is my spiritual daughter, Monica. I love her to death. Put those texts on the screen right now. Let me show you what God is saying. Illustrate it this way. These are other versions that give us insight. Look at the middle one. You cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than your father and mother. Now look at the next version. That's in the contemporary English version. This is in the New Living Translation. If you want to be my disciple, somebody say my disciple. You must hate everyone else by comparison. You can take it off the screen. Let me show you what Jesus is saying. The reason why Jesus used such strong language is because he's trying to make a strong point about what your love should look like to him in comparison to other people. I appreciate him saying hate because I get the picture. In other words, what God is saying is this. He says that I should not love Monica the same way that I love Shanae. Now imagine you saw me in the restaurant with Monica and we're cuddled up next to each other. And we're sharing a meal. And we're looking at each other with romantic eyes. And let's say Orlando comes in and he says, now what in the world? First thing he would do is start texting. But if he were a real man of God, he would confront me. And he would say to me and Monica sitting there enjoying our romantic meal, he would say, what are y'all doing? That's not your wife. And I would reply to him, just going with the illustration. Oh, no, Orlando, you don't understand. My wife is cool with this. Go talk to her. And then Orlando is just like, this is some crazy stuff here. I don't know what kind of pastor they send up in here. We don't believe in these open relationships. And so Orlando gets up and he goes to my wife, Shanae. And he says, Shanae, now he's my boy, but I, I saw some stuff. He was sitting with Monica and they were enjoying a romantic meal. And they were looking at each other with googly eyes. And, and they were playing footsie with each other. And, and they were, I mean, and they were sharing food. And man, I mean, it was weird. And then I asked him, I confronted him. Because you know I love you, Shanae. I confronted him and I said, yo, what are you doing? And he had the nerve to tell me the lie that it's all right with you. And then Shanae said, oh, no, it is. Oh. Oh, no. Hey, babe, this is just an illustration, baby. Pull it together. Pull it together. We're just playing. Go sit down somewhere. Now, now let me ask you a question. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? And it's really not right. I can love Monica, but in comparison to Shanae, my love for Monica should look like hate compared to how much I love my wife. In other words, there should be no distinction. There should be no comparison. I ought to blow every woman out of the water by the way I treat Shanae in comparison to how I treat other women. Go sit down. Go sit down. Go sit down. Go sit down. Before you hurt somebody. Before you hurt somebody. You better sit down, girl. She's getting all mad on the illustration. 
pray for that girl. So understand what Christ is saying. Christ is simply saying, he's saying the way that your love, oh, hear me now. He's saying the way that your love should look to me in comparison to your mother, your father, even your children or your husband, your love for me should look like hate. Let's be honest. We don't, our love for God is not even distinct between our love for our friends. And we throw that word around so loosely. I love chicken. I love the bulls. I love the calves. I love the browns. I love this. Understand, brothers and sisters, and I really believe that we mean it. Because I'm going to give you a couple of things to determine how you know that you're in love with somebody. Number one, or who you follow. The first question I want to ask you is, (laughs) when you sacrifice your money, for what do you sacrifice your money for? That will tell me who you love. And many of us around Christmas time will pull out all kind of stuff for these bratty kids that have not been nice all year long. But when there is a call from the church to give unto the cause of Christ, we look for all come. When you're ready to build your house, you put in all the work, the, the marble floors and hardwood floors and flat screen televisions and, 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 and granite countertops. And, and you want to make sure your crib is laid out. But when it comes to the cause of Christ, you're looking at how little you can give. So how do you know you love first? Tell me what you do with your money. Second thing is. The other way you can tell how your love compares with Christ is what disappoints or frustrates you the most. You can tell by what makes people angry (laughs) of what's important to them. For example, let's say me and John go fishing and John is my son. And I need to spend time with my son. And so we go fishing and we haven't caught anything all day long. But I really need to spend time with my son. And so after the fishing uh, expedition is over, Uh, We go back home and we're riding in our pickup truck and I am fit to be tied. I'm upset because I didn't catch no fish. And John is just sitting there all happy just because he was with his daddy. And that's how many of us are with the Lord. We're mad that we didn't get something when we should just be excited that we were with him. Hear me now. What disappoints you, what breaks your heart is a revelation to what you love the most. Next thing. What gets you excited? Colt McCoy drops back. Three seconds left in the game. He scans the field. Down by six. Looks to his left. Looks to his right. Looks over the check down. Has Josh Cribbs deep downfield. He throws the ball. He's hit as he throws. Josh Cribbs goes up. Tips the ball. Muhammad Massaquai catches it. Three, two, one, zero. Touchdown, Browns. And you'll see folk in church. Church folk. In the stands. High-fiving. Chest-butting. Going crazy. A woman walks into the mall and, and, and she's just browsing. She has no intention to spend any money. She has no money to spend. But all of a sudden she sees a dress that she had noticed before. It's been marked down five times. 
It's got one of those red stickers on it. Alert, alert, alert. Buy me. Old school Adventists are like. I found me a sale. I found me a sale, sister. I found me one. What gets you excited is a revelation of what you love to most. And you can't get people to shout hallelujah. You can't get people to tell their testimony. Nobody gets excited anymore when somebody is baptized. People come down the aisle. We're so used to it. It doesn't even move us anymore. And we have to have praise teams now and choirs and energetic preachers who lose all their energy when they preach just to keep our attention. And God says, have I not been that good to you where I shouldn't have to fight for praise? I should not have to fight for your attention. You will spend hours with your boo. You'll stay on the phone all night with them. You'll spend all your time and all your money on them. And after all that, you may not even marry them. And when God wants five minutes, you're too tired because you've wasted all your energy on a football game. My love for the Dallas Cowboys should look like hate compared to my love for God. Your love for your children should look like hate. I'm going to go there because I got small kids and sometimes we make all kinds of excuses. Oh, my kids, I, I just can't get out to church and I just can't get out. You know what the problem is? You done put them kids before your God. You got them in this class, in that class, and, and you got them do, doing this thing, and they're in soccer, and, and they're in that. And, and when it comes to getting up and spending time with God, you can't even get up and spend time with them because your job is your God. When your boss calls, you answer with respect. When your boss gives you an assignment, you move on it. When you don't feel like working, you'll show up because you love your job more than you love God. You love your mortgage than you love God. You love your light bill more than you love God. You love your boyfriend more than you love God. And God is saying, oh, thank you for this word today, God. You're dealing in my heart today. He says, your love for me compared to the love of the things of this world, it ought to look like you hate the world. It ought to look like you hate your mama compared to how much you love you. People, and I've heard, I've seen this before, when somebody dies and we're at their funeral and they're talking, oh, they love their mama Oh, they loved their children. They were a lover of young people. They were a lover of this. Understand now, your life in Christ should be so passionate about him and so in love with him that when your final days are here and people stand around and talk about what contribution you made, the thing that ought to come out of their mouths is they love Jesus. They loved him so much that they sent their kids to God's schools. They loved him so much that they loved their husband even though their husband was not faithful to them. 
They loved him so much that even though they had cancer all through their body, they kept on serving the Lord and kept on denying themselves and they picked up their cross and followed him. God says, if your love does not look like hate for your friends and hate for your family compared to your love for me, you cannot be my disciple. Are you listening to me here today? Can you imagine a kid? He's starting to, he's starting to love his teacher. You've been there. Your kid has a favorite teacher. You know, comes home talking about the teacher all the time. And then, you know, mom, after a while, she's like, you know, you know, this Miss Johnson, you know, it's all good and whatnot. And she's a good teacher, but every, every word come out of his mouth. Is Miss Johnson said this. Can I get a witness in here? Miss Johnson said that. And so one day, mom, you go to the school and, and little Johnny is playing on the swings. And, and then Johnny, uh, all of a sudden, he, he flips out of the swings and he, and he falls and busts his knee. And then you're standing there and the teacher's standing there. And Johnny gets up in a moment of panic. His knee is bleeding and he runs toward you. And the teacher. And he's got to make a choice in his mind. Who am I going to go to? And that little boy jumps up in Miss Johnson's arms. And starts crying. Saying, Miss Johnson, I hurt myself. Oh. I was, going, I was trying to figure out the Christian way to say that. But that mama is going to feel rejected. I think that's how God feels about us. There is a lot of stuff in our lives right now that has become our God. And we would never claim it as our God because we have spiritualized our lives so much to think that we can share our affection with God and we can share our affection with others. But God says your love for me ought to be so deep that there is no sharing. And watch this now. God, oh Lord, when I learned this, man, this thing blew my mind. I've been saying this for a few years now. I've been saying this for a few years now. I'm almost done. I'm about to end right now. God does not want to be second. When I was in school, I used to think that Aaron, I used to think that God wants to be, uh, that this is the priority list in our lives. We've said this in church, Sabbath school, we, we teach this, that God is first, amen? And then, you're, then, then, then family is second, uh, your wife and your children, and, and then in my case, uh, then, then the church, uh, and then my fellow men, and then myself. That's not biblical. God says, I don't want to be first. Because that means, I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like if I had Craig and Orlando at, a, at, a, at, a, at the starting blocks and they're about to race. And I say, Mark, get set, go. And, they, and they're trying to outrun each other. And whoever finishes is the winner. And I say, okay, he's the winner. And then you're in second place. That's what we're saying about our relationship with God if God is first and second. God says, I don't want to be close. He says, matter of fact, I don't even want nobody else in the race but me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Understand. Listen, this is a powerful thought from the scripture. He said, until our love gets to a place where it's God first. No, God only. 
He says, you cannot be my disciple. And this is a word of scathing rebuke for the church. Because we walk around here all pious like we're on our way to heaven because we got a little information and got a few little red books and because we don't eat no meat and because we go to church on a different day and we're just walking around here with all this spiritual swagger and can't nobody tell us nothing. But you are selfish. And it doesn't matter how much you know, if you are selfish to the extent that if God has to compare his relationship with your friends and your job and your lovers and your men and your women and your children, and he's confused as to who is only in his life, he says, you cannot. What do you do with your money? Tells me who you love. What do you do when you get hurt? Who do you go to? You go to your lover? Go to your boyfriend, your girlfriend? You go to your husband? Or do you go to God? David said one thing. There is a problem with current modern spirituality. And it's driving God crazy. Can I tell you why? He's saying to himself, I died for these people. Well, my mama carried me for nine months. If I hadn't died and spoke her into existence, then she wouldn't have been able to even carry you for nine months. Well, you don't know what my daddy has done for me. I love my daddy so much. If it wasn't for me and my spilled blood, your daddy wouldn't even be here today. And you treat me like a jilted lover, like a jump off. And when worship takes place, I'm going to fight for your attention. That's how I know there's a sleep demon. It's got to be one. Because people can sit down and watch boring movies on AMC for hours. And they will not go to sleep. But when it comes to the things of God, we can't even stay up and pray for five minutes without going in the la-la land. There is something wrong with us. You cannot sit here and feel comfortable today if you simply just come to church and if you simply just have your name on the road and if you're in a ministry, God says, I want to know that I'm the only one you love. I'm done. Marna, put the statement on the screen. This is your girl. Give me a different background, uh, that white words there. Watch this. <laughs> Hate your mama, your daddy, your kids, your brothers and sisters. He says, it ought to look like hate compared to my, your love for me. Hate referred to in Luke 14, 26 means a less degree of love. Amen. We are to have, now check me on this, I promise. This is going to bless you. We are to have supreme love to God. And our friends are to be loved secondarily. 
Our love for husband, wife, brothers, sisters, father or mother must be inferior to our love to God. Our love for these dear relatives must not be blind and selfish and cause us to forget God. And that's the thing. That's the thing. And and I'm telling you right now, let's just be honest, brothers and sisters, our relationships and our jobs and all the stuff we got going on. We are constantly under the temptation to be distracted and to forget God because we got so much stuff going on in our lives. Isn't it an amazing thing how the very blessings that God gives us become a curse? When these ties of relationship lead us to prefer their favor by disregarding the truth, we love them more than we love Jesus and are not worthy of them. So if you're shacking up with somebody, that is the breaking of God's commandment. And if you make all kind of excuses as to why you can't leave and, and your money is tied up together and we've been together for so long, you are choosing that lover over your God. When you take your money and you spend it on these little rascals and you spend it on your mortgage and you spend it on your little life and you pay all your debts and you pay your rent man and you pay your, these little uh, bill collectors. That don't even know you. Do not give God his money. You are declaring I love my stuff more than I love God. In that fearful time when we need an arm to protect and shield us. And it it always comes down to this. Something happens. Where's Jesus? Where are you Lord? And then we got the nerve, man, to say stuff like, where have you been? I was reading Job in my devotion, and the pastor's got me doing this chronological Bible study. I'm I'm reading Job, and Job was talking back to God, and he's like, where have you been? I'm calling you, and you don't even got the nerve to answer me. Who do you think you are? God says, I've been there all the time, but you've been so preoccupied with your little life and the little stuff you got going on to make you happy that you have forgotten that the reason why you exist is not to be happy, but the reason why you exist is to be in a loving relationship with me. There is no happiness apart from God. I'm a living witness that you can search all over and you won't find nobody. There's nobody greater. In that fearful time when we need an arm to protect and shield us, stronger than any human arm, stronger than the arm of father, brother, or husband, and shall call upon him that is mighty to save, he will not hear us. He will bid us to lean upon those whom we preferred before him, whom we loved above him. Whom we would not forsake for him. Can you imagine getting in trouble and saying, oh, Mike Holmgren, Cleveland Browns, help me. Your little lover that is so inconsistent. And you're going to run to him when you need healing from cancer. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, can I just be real? We don't like being treated like that. Come on, am I, come on now, talk to me now. The sermon is over. We don't like being treated like that. Anybody like being used? So how do you think God feels when we only approach him with sincerity? When we're in a bind? He will say, let them deliver you. <laughs> let them save you. And then watch this. These are beautiful words in which we'll end on. He says, I gave you proof of my love. I left the glory of my father and all my majesty and splendor and came into a world cursed with sin and pollution. For your sakes, I became poor. That you through my poverty might become rich. I bore insult. Thank you, Jesus. And mockery. Jesus went to Calvary. He says, yet this did not excite your love. Above the favor of earthly friends. You have, who have given you but feeble proofs of their love. I know you not. Come on. Thank you for giving me perspective today, Lord. Following you takes our whole lives, it takes sacrifice, suffering, surrender. And God, I declare today that the most difficult word I've ever heard in my life is surrender. That word is the word that will separate lost from saved. That word separates fans from followers. That word separates love from lust. That word separates God's children from the children of this world. I don't know who you are today. This is really what it boils down to. God wants to know do you love me? What more do I have to do to convince you that I want total control of your life?